But so a couple weeks ago, uh, I had the chance to go down to, uh, to Portland to the Rose Garden, and I'll listen to a couple people speak. And one of them was um, uh, former First Lady Laura Bush. Anyone ever heard her speak in person? So she's a pretty good speaker. I, I, I really enjoyed listening to her. But it was, it was kind of a little unconventional for uh, a, a professional, you know, somebody who's hitting the circuit right now because usually they, they go up on the stage and, you know, <clears throat> no podium and no notes and they just kind of walk around. And, you know, she, when, when she went up there, they put like a big podium down and she had her notes and she put them out and she had this little Laura Bush bobblehead doll that she put on there. She, she had a friend bought it on clearance, like 90% off. And so she, she kind of put it on the stage and she, she read from her notes, but she had some great stuff to say. But there was one point when she was speaking that for me was really, really uh, interesting, really captivating. She was talking about what life was like right after um, 9-11 and talking about um, just kind of the fear and the stress and a lot of it that she felt for her husband in the position he was in and um, oftentimes just fearing for him and for his safety and talking about how sometimes just in the middle of the night they would be in, in their bedroom and they would hear somebody running down the hall and they just knew after a while it was always a secret service agent. He would come in, open the door and say, you need to come with me right away. There had been some kind of threat and they'd have to take them downstairs underneath the White House to a bunker and you know she'd usually be in a robe and her bunny slippers and so you know kind of talking about that. But just this is what life becomes for her after a while. And then she's talking about, uh, uh, if, you, if you remember that year, the World Series was put off a little bit. They had to push it back because of things that had gone on. But about seven weeks after 9-11, they uh, went forward with the World Series. And um, the, uh, let's see, Arizona was playing New York. And in the third game of the series, it was going to be played in New York. And the president was planning on going. Um, so they asked if he'd throw out the opening pitch. And against her better judgment, he decided that he would do it. So they go to the game. They're in Yankee Stadium. And before the game, the president is underneath the stadium and he's talking with Derek Jeter. And they're having this little discussion. And Jeter says, so, you know, uh, are you going to, where are you going to throw the ball from? Are you going to throw it from the pitcher's mound? Or are you going to throw it up a little bit for, you know, a little bit closer? And the president says, well, you know, what do you think? I'm going to throw it from, you know, up closer. And Jeter looks at him and says, you know, just, just be a man. Throw it, from the, throw it from the pitcher's mound. So the president thinks about it for a little bit, and Jeter begins to walk away. And as he's walking away, he turns around and looks at him, and he says, and don't let the ball hit the ground because they'll boo you. That's what they do here. And he walked out of the room. So, so the president, there he is, you know, and he's kind of, in a lot of ways, he's just got the, the, the weight of the world on his shoulders right now. And now he's got to go out, and he's got to stand on the pitcher's mound in front of tens of thousands of people in the stadium, and then, of course, millions of people all over the world, and watch him throw a pitch. And so... Um, Laura Bush goes and takes her place in, in the stands. I, you know, I'm sure she had a good seat. And uh, so she's there and she's watching. She, she's describing the teams are out of their dugout, li- uh, lined uh, by their dugout. And the president comes out and he walks out to the pitcher's mound. Um, and she said that as she, was, as she was looking at him and just all she could think to herself was, um, there are a lot of people right now that would like, a, they could get a clean shot at him. He's standing all alone in the middle of the stadium with no one to protect him. And as a wife who dearly, dearly loved her husband, and what she said was this. She said, at that moment when, I, when she saw her husband standing alone in the middle of the field, she said, she felt a fear that was so profound that to this, to this very day, she's never, ever been able to say, out, say it out loud. Just, just name it. She, she can't do it. And it, it was interesting to me, by the way, he, per, he pitched a perfect strike. Um, but, uh, but anyways, the, the, as I listened to her speak, what it made me think of is 
And here's a lady who is, who is married to, you know, the, the most powerful man in the free world at the time, with lots of protections around him. And yet, she's full of fear. And, and she's full of concern. And she's got a lot of anxiety. And what it reminded me was when I was listening to her speak, it's so easy to think that it's just us and, and the things that we're going through in life that are tough and difficult and everyone else has it easier. But the truth is, everyone in life faces struggles. Everyone in life faces trouble. We all do. And in fact, if you look in Scripture, uh, Jesus in John sixteen thirty three said this. He's speaking to his disciples and he said, Now I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Because in this world, he says, you'll have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Now Jesus says here, he says, it's not that you might have trouble, okay? It's not like if you have trouble, here's what you should remember. What he says is, you will have trouble. All of us face trouble and hardship and pain and problems, financial, health, vocational, all of us. It's just, unfortunately, it's a guaranteed thing that we're going to go through in life. Jesus says, don't be shocked, and, and don't, don't be dismayed, and don't fall back and think, why is this happening to me? Because it happens, and it happens to everyone. Now, I was reading um, a book a couple of weeks ago, and this guy who had been a pastor for years and years was talking about helping people in his church who are going through difficult circumstances. And what he said was this. He said he thinks in general about on any given weekend in a church, probably about one in every three people are going through some kind of significant, uh, difficult, some kind of hurting situation. So I was thinking about that this week and thinking about our congregation, and I thought, I don't know, one in three sounds a little bit low to me. Um, because at least from where I sit, I kind of hear a lot of stuff. In fact, what I hear is a lot of stuff that I don't think usually makes it around and stuff that often isn't put on prayer requests and isn't shared, but I hear that stuff. And, and I don't know when you look around this room, we had a service last night and we'll have a service after this, but when you look around this room, if you could see everybody and you looked at other people in the room, I don't know what, what you see when you look at people, but what you probably see is a whole lot of people that are just like you, and they're good at coming into a group like this and putting on a mask. No matter what happens out there, coming in here and putting on a mask, say, everything's fine, everything's good, you know, I'm doing just great. But it's not usually what I see from up here. Because as somebody who gets to kind of get the inside track on a lot of stuff, let me tell you what I see on, on any given weekend from up here on a weekend, usually I can look out and see someone who just received, probably in the last week or two, some, some really bad news from their doctor. It seems like week in and week out right now. I don't know what the deal is. In fact, right now at this moment, my wife is at the house of a family in our church whose husband has been rushed to the hospital this morning for, for chest pain. So I'm just, you know, this is the kind of thing on any given weekend, it's not unusual for me to look out and to see this. Um, to see uh, multiple people in our congregation who are in the midst of some serious illness. People are going through chemo or going through radiation or just did or about to go through some, some kind of surgery. It's not uncommon to be up here on any given weekend and see at least one or two people in the congregation who just lost a loved one this week and they're hurting they're struggling through that. Um, somebody, and I, you know, I'd say somebody who's out of work, but that's probably like, I don't know how many people on a given weekend anymore I see who are out of work or who are, you know, underemployed. They need a full-time job. It's only part-time where they know their job's probably about to come to an end. It's not uncommon in any given weekend to be up here and look out and see someone who's in the process of losing their home. 
you know, this place that they, they, they've built and they've, they've you know, kind of poured their life. They've, they've lived in that house. They've raised their kids in that house. And now they're losing their house. And that's hard. I mean, that's just emotionally and in so many ways difficult to work through. It's not uncommon to be here on a weekend and look out at at least one student who's really struggling through class, not sure they're going to make the grade, not sure they're concerned about how that's going to impact their future and, and where they can go to school and all of that. It's not unusual to be up here on a weekend and know at least one or two people who just lost a good friend this week, somebody they've known for years, and then there was an argument, there was a disagreement or something, and there's just a lot of stress right now. Someone who's, who's mourning the loss of a dream. This is something I hear on a regular basis. People are like, you know, my whole life I thought, I'm going to do this, I'm going to accomplish this, and I'm just starting to, you know, I'm just starting to realize that's never going to happen. I'm never getting, it's, it's hard to let go of something like that. Someone who's been betrayed. It's statistically, uh, it would not be unusual for me to be up here on a weekend and look out at at least one person who is currently being abused physically or being abused sexually. And, and as hard as it is to imagine that, the statistics are all on the side of the fact that it happens. Now, most of the time, we don't talk about it. You know, most of the time people are going through this. They don't want to let down the mask and say, hey, you know, I'm being abused. And there's all sorts of stigmas that go with that. And so a lot of times you just, we put on masks and we pretend. Everything's great. But Jesus reveals two important things in this passage. He says, we'll have trouble in this life. And for most of us, when we hear that, we're like, you know, amen, brother. Because <laughs> we know, right? That's, you don't need anyone to convince you. You don't, need to, you don't need me to sit up here and try to convince you because you're like, I'm not so sure about that. You know, that people really go through hard times. It's the second part, though. It's the second statement he makes that it's quite frankly just as valid as the first, but one that's a little bit harder for us sometimes to really grab onto. And that is, he says, but here's the good news. I've overcome the world. Jesus says, here's the good news. I'm bigger than your hurt and bigger than your problems and bigger than the stuff that you're going through because I am in control. And so often for us, it's easy to believe the first part that there'll be trouble. It's a little bit harder for us to really grab on the second part and go, I believe just as much as I believe the first part, I believe the second part that God is going to do something good here. And because God is in control, I, I can let go and I don't need to hide my pain and hide the mask. I don't need to do that. But so often, because we don't believe that second part. We try to hide our hurt, and we try to hide our pain. And I think there's all sorts of reasons why. You know, we don't walk into a room like this on a weekend, and if we're really hurting, and somebody comes up and says, hey, how you doing? Most of us don't go, terrible, <laughs> you know? I, really, I had a really bad week, are you sure? You want to ask me that question, you know? And we don't do it for a lot of reasons. One is because a lot of times it's, sometimes the pain is just too difficult for even us to talk about. It's too hard for us to recite. Or sometimes I, I think we just don't want to be a whiner. We don't want to be that guy, you know. No one wants to be that person, so I'll just, I'll put on the mask or I'll, and, you know, I'll be the whiner. People think less of me or they'll think I'm weak or they'll, you know, they'll pity me and I don't want anyone's pity. So we walk into church or we walk into a grow group. We walk into a Bible study and we're in pain and somebody says, how's it going? And we say, great, you know, how are you doing? So we lie, and you know, we ask them, how are you doing? They lie, and everybody lies, and we're all wearing our masks. And, and, but, but here's the good news. It's it, it so often like that, but it doesn't have to be like that. Because God says that, that he has uh, healing for us, even in the midst of our hurts and our, and our troubles. He can bring healing to us. And I want to mention two ways that God most often brings healing into our lives when we're hurting and we're struggling. In fact, I'll just give you the outline right now. It's through his presence, and it's through his people. Two of the big ways that God brings healing in, into our lives when we're hurting. He does it through his presence, and he does it through his people. 
Now, when um, our oldest son, who's now 17, but when he was uh, 21, 22 months old, as many of you know, he was diagnosed. He ended up in the hospital. We didn't know what was going on. His life was hanging on by a thread. We discovered through some tests that his kidneys were failing and that he had something called nephrotic syndrome. And so the doctors, um, not quite knowing how to help him, began to try a lot of different drugs. And they had warned us, one of the drugs that we're going to give him has the potential to make his joints weak. So, you know, be careful about you know, hanging him like this, and they t- just because things will come out, so be very careful. And when he was, I think, probably just around three years old, um, one time he was messing around, and his elbow came out of the out of the joint. And um, so my wife called me. She was panicked, and she's like, "You know, I don't. I, I, he's in terrible, terrible pain. I've never had a, a a joint come out of the socket, so I can't speak from personal experience. But it looked." really bad, looked really painful, you know. And so the first time he did it, my wife called me and she's like, you know, I don't know what to do. And, and I was in the middle of a meeting. In fact, I was getting ready to come up and preach. And so I said, well, just get him in the car and bring him down here and I'll, I'll you know, I'll fix it. So she went and she put him in the, she put him in the car seat. And when she put him in, it hit his elbow on the, on the car seat and popped it right back in. So that, <laughs> but that was really cool. But then uh, a couple weeks later, I was at home and he came walking and he, he I could hear him just, just, just wailing. And and it had come out again. And he was in pain. So I, I came up to him and I said, now, you know, he's three years old. I'm like, here's the thing, buddy. He's in terrible pain. Now, when you're really, really hurting, when a part of your body's hurting, do you want people to come up and grab it? No, you're going to punch people who try to do that, right? So I came up and I said, buddy, you got to let me take your arm because I can fix this, but you're going to have to let me grab your elbow and do this and do this whole thing. And he's like, you know, just, just crying. And so finally I had to do that thing and wrap myself around him and just force it. So I g- grabbed him, I held him, I pulled his arm back and almost immediately when when I did it, like almost immediately it went in and the pain was gone. It was just boom, it was gone. He was like, oh, cool. And he was running off and he was on his way. Couple days later, all of a sudden I hear the noise again. You know, I hear it. I hear him, I hear him wailing. I'm thinking, oh boy, guess what he does this time? He comes running to me as fast as he can and he puts his arm out, right? And he's just go for it, right? Why? Because when we're hurting, when, when we're in pain, what do we instinctively do? When we're hurting and in pain, we instinctively go to the place that we think is safe, to the place where we think that we'll find healing and find help. And here's what I've discovered. When you're hurting, when you're suffering in life, the best place for you to be is in the presence of God. But unfortunately for so, so many of us, instead of running to God, when we're hurting, when we're in pain, many of us have developed unhealthy coping mechanisms. You know, like maybe we put on a mask of denial. You ever do that? And you're like hurting and you're suffering, but you're like, I don't even want to think about it. So I'll just put on a mask and pretend everything's okay. Um, or sometimes maybe your mask will be something you pour in a glass that you hope will help you forget about your pain. Or maybe I've, I've read for some people when they're depressed and they're, you know, just kind of overwrought, they go shopping. Is that kind of weird? So people think I'll go shop, I guess, and somehow I'll go buy things and I'll make me feel better. Um, or maybe a pint of, let's say, I was going to say Ben and Jerry's, but I meant Sheridan's. A pint of Sheridan's, right? It just go and, yeah. Um, or, which always works for me. Or um, watching, you know, for some people, I'll just turn on TV and try to, you know, get out of my world into another world. For some people, when they're hurting emotionally, they'll pour themselves into their job or, you know, just go take a good vacation. But whatever your coping mechanism is, You need to understand that the best possible place that you could run to when you're hurting is into the presence of your heavenly Father of Almighty God. 
In Psalm 62, the psalmist tells us this. He says, find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He says, when I'm hurting, when I'm struggling, when I'm stressed out, when there's this stuff going on, he says, the best place for me to go, the the best place to find hope. And isn't that really the struggle when you're hurting and you're discouraged? What you need is hope. And he says, where do I find my hope? My hope comes from God. Because notice, he alone, he alone is my rock and he alone is my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. The psalmist uses some imagery here. He says, God is like a rock. When you're looking for this thing that, that, that's an anchor that you can run to that, that cannot be shaken by the events of this world or other things, God is the rock and God is the fortress. My salvation and my honor, they depend on God. Again, he is my, now he's not just a rock, he's a mighty rock. And he's not just a fortress, he's my refuge. And then it says, trust in him. So that's the key. To run to God and to trust him at all times, O people, and to pour out your heart to him. Are you hurting? Pour out your heart to God. Are you stressed? Pour out your heart to God. Seek him first and then go get some ice cream. I mean, now where, where can we where can we do that? And here's kind of the irony, okay? As I understand scripture, God is everywhere. And, and, and as a believer, for me and you, we have the presence of God in us. And yet, isn't it true that sometimes, even though God is all around us and God is in us, we're, it doesn't seem like we're really in his presence? And it's not God that's the issue. It's, it's us. So how do we kind of open that door or peel away that veil so that we can really experience the presence of God in our life? Now, there's a lot of different ways to do it, but I want to mention a couple that, for me, just really seem to do the trick. Like, when I'm hurting and suffering and just need to engage in the presence of God, prayer is a great way for me to do that, just, just to talk to God. In Philippians 4, it says this, Do not be anxious about anything. Are you hurting? Are you struggling? Don't be anxious, but in everything. And then he gives us a, he says, prayer and petition with thanksgiving. So that word prayer there is just just the general word of conversing with God, of, of talking with him. So he says, when, when, when you're hurting, when you're anxious, just, just talk with God. Just, pour, just start a conversation. Because the good news is he's right there or he's right here and he's ready to talk with you. So just, just start talking. Prayer, petition is asking God for what you need. So you're just saying, you know what, God, I'm in pain and I could use some comfort. God, I'm hurting here and I could use some wisdom them to know what to do. I could, use a, I could use a miracle, God, you know, or some, some understanding. He says, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving and present your request to God. Let him know what you need. And then notice what he says here. He says, notice, and the peace of God. Now that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? And the peace of God which transcends all understanding. And in fact, as I understand scripture, it doesn't just transcend understanding. What he's saying here is, in the midst of all this, you'll experience a peace that doesn't make any sense. I mean, just you, logically, you'll be like, uh, well, logically, I'm, this, is, this is my financial problem or my health problem or whatever. I'm going to pray to God, and logically, it doesn't make any sense that I'm going to feel peace. But that's what he's saying. It transcends understanding. You can't figure it out, but it's God. That's what God does. And he'll guard your heart, and he'll guard your mind in Christ Jesus. That's a good thing. When, God, when you engage in God, when you experience that in your life. In 1 Peter, it tells us this, maybe a little more descriptive of what we do when we pray to God in the midst of troubles. He says, cast 
your anxiety. And that word cast means to, to throw off, to toss. It just literally means to, to take your trouble and just to chuck it at God. Just, you know, where, picture where God is and just let him have it. And God says, hey, I, I want to invite you. Don't, don't hold on to it. Don't put it in your backpack. Don't carry that load. Just, just let it go. Just drop it. Just, you know, throw it, God says, in my general direction. Because I, I am, God says, let me have it. I'd love to be able to deal with that thing. Here's my question. Is there something that you've been carrying, some, some burden, some pain, some struggle, and you've been carrying that thing? God's like, why would you do that? You just need to let it go. Just drop it. Don't drop it on your foot. Just kind of toss it out a little bit, you know? Because God says, I'd, I'd be more than happy to take it. So talking to him is one of, uh, just a simple way we come into the presence of God. Another one is just to, to get into his word. If you've ever thought, I'm hurting and I need to hear from God, Again, here's the good news. You can hear from God anytime you want. It's called the Bible. And the Bible are, are God's words to you. In Psalm 119, the psalmist says this, Trouble and distress have come upon me. You ever feel like that? Trouble and distress have come upon me, but your commands, that is God's word, your commands are my, are my what? Delight. Okay? Anyone feel that way? Ever feel like, you know, oh yeah, I'm hurting, I'm struggling, I think I'll open up the commands of God, you know? Sometimes we're like, oh no, that just seems so heavy, and now I have to study and get out the Greek and do all, and yet the psalmist says, no, that's not what it's like. And I, I tell you, I can't tell you how many times I, I've, I've been struggling, I've been hurting, I open up my Bible to do my daily reading. How does that work? Does it ever happen to you? You open it up, and it's exactly what I needed to hear that day. And sometimes I, I, I open it up and I read it and I'm shocked. I'm like, so weird. How could, how, it's kind of strange that I had this trouble right now and I'm on a reading plan and it just happened to line. It's so weird. I mean, how could that happen? Like, so strange. You know, after a while, you, you, you know, you think God sits in heaven and goes, when are you going to figure this out? I'm God, you know. This is, this is what I do, you know. You ever have that happen? Now, I don't, I don't want to suggest this, okay. But I'll just say, I've heard of people you know, who sometimes are really hurting and they'll take their Bible and just open it up to a random spot and read it. And I, because God is a God, he, well, he's God. He knows what you're going through. He knew what you were going to go through. He knew what you were going to open. That's God. He does that. So my suggestion is open your Bible. Open it up and read it. You know, um, we got, in fact, this weekend, it's really cool. Somebody in our congregation uh, came forward a few weeks ago and said, I would like to buy some Bibles for the sanctuary. And so every three chairs or so you'll sit underneath, there's a Bible there. And uh, we didn't put like the gateway stamp in it because they're not ours. Um, if you're here and you don't have a Bible, you can take one with you. Just put it under your thing and don't worry about the beepers that go off as you exit the doors. Just, just, just keep walking, okay? But no, seriously, uh, if you don't have a Bible, take one with you. And, and if you've got a Bible, I'd encourage you to open it up every day. But when you're hurting, open it up a couple times a day because you're going to find God. Now, here's the great thing, okay? If you've got a Bible like mine and I've got a great big old honking Bible and sometimes carrying it around is a tough thing, smartphones today are super sweet. So how many of you have a Bible on your phone? How many? Okay, so if you've got an iPhone or a smartphone or even just a semi-smartphone uh, or an Android phone, if you go, you'll, what you'll find is there's tons of Bibles that you can download on your phone. And so what I've done is I downloaded uh, several Bibles on my phone and I'm loving how this is working because there's a lot of times where I, I go somewhere and I'm waiting in line or, you know, whatever, never when I'm driving. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be somewhere. Or I've just got 10 minutes and I didn't have my Bible with me. But I turn my phone on and I'm just reading through. I'm following a, a plan and I'm reading through my Bible. And I can't tell you how, 
how awesome that, that is just to continually get the word of God. We live in an amazing day. If you've got a computer, you can get the Bible on your computer. Um, here's another great thing, and this sounds like a lot more work, but you might try memorizing scripture sometimes. One of the great things about memorizing scripture that I love is once you memorize it, it's yours. You, you own it. And anywhere you go, you've got that and you can recall it. And it's, what's interesting to me is the most relevant Bible passages to my life are the ones I memorized. I, go figure. But those are the ones that I'm always thinking of. And, but get into the word of God. The psalmist in 119.52 says this. He says, I meditate on your age-old laws, O Lord, and they, they comfort me. Now that idea of meditation is more than just doing your quick reading and checking off the box and being on your way. This, is, this has the idea of pondering, of, of just kind of, you know, really meditating is for me. It's reading a passage, closing a book, and sometimes sitting back, turning everything off and just, just dwelling on that passage and thinking about how it applies to my life and letting the Holy Spirit speak to me and, and teach me. How do we come into the presence of God where we can find comfort and healing? Well, we talk to Him, we get in His Word. And one more, I mean, there's so many ways we can do this, but one more that's really especially helpful to me is to engage in worship. When I find myself struggling and hurting, I find that when I, when I come into the presence of God and worship, there's something I find there uh, in the Old Testament, there's a book uh, called the Book of Job. I think I'd been a Christian five years before I realized it wasn't the Book of Job. But, and I, but it was a Book of Job. And um, it's about a guy who lived a long, 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 long time ago. And this guy was a righteous, you know, the Bible says he was righteous. He wasn't perfect. But this is a guy that just really took walking with God and living with God and honoring God extremely seriously. And uh, so he's a righteous guy and God has blessed him. I mean, he's rich and he's got it all together. And one day, the Bible says that Satan was out kind of roaming around the earth and checking people out, and he comes into the presence of God, and Satan and God have this little discussion. Now, it's one of the reasons the book of Job is so interesting. It gives you a, kind of a picture you don't get anywhere else in Scripture. But, but God and the devil are talking, and, and, and God the Father says, so, you know, what have you been up to? Where have you been? And I'm paraphrasing. And, and, and Satan's like, well, I've been walking around the earth. And I think the implication of the passage is I've been walking around, and by the way, those people are not very impressed. Have you looked at those people? those people you created in your image because they're not very impressive, you know. And God says to, to Satan, he says, really, have you met Job? Have you been in that? Did you know? Have you looked that guy up? Because this is a, this, he's an amazing guy. You got to look this guy up. And Satan says, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know, all about Job. And the only reason that Job is so great and so nice is because he's rich and because you've blessed him. But I'm telling you, God, if he took all that stuff away, he wouldn't love you. He wouldn't care about you. He'd walk away. So God calls his bluff and he says, uh, okay, fine. Well, you could take away everything that he owns. You can't hurt him. You can't touch him, but you can take away everything he owns. I, am I the only one that hopes that God never has a conversation like that about me? <laughs> so, so they're up there and Satan's like, okay, God, because what's going on here? This is part of the big cosmic plan that's, that's playing out with, with the devil who says that people are just losers and nobody will ever really, you know, choose to follow God and, and, say, and God's going to show them differently. So in, in one day, here's what happens. In one day, the, the devil goes out and he uh, has... Um, Job's oxen and his donkeys, they're, they're all taken, they're captured, and they're killed. And that's kind of his farming equipment. You know, that's all gone now. The uh, oxen and the donkeys and all his sheep are, are some fire comes down out of heaven and it, and it, you know, barbecues them all instantly and they're all, they're gone. And so that's kind of his, his food, his wealth. All, his, all of his servants are either taken away and captured or they're all killed. So his workforce is gone. All the camels are taken 
I don't know what that's about. And then all of his children on that exact same day, they're all in the house. They're celebrating together, all of his kids. And this wind comes and it knocks down the house and it kills them all. And Job is sitting there one afternoon and all of a sudden messengers start coming one by one and saying, you just lost this, you just lost this, you just lost this. And by, within a short span of time, probably, I don't know, an hour, a couple hours, everything he has in terms of worldly wealth is gone. The only thing he's left with is his wife. And that's a, a whole other story if you read it. But, okay, and, and sorry. So, so there he is. There he is. And, and, and what does he do? What does he do? It says in Job 1, it says, Then Job arose, and he tore his robe, and he shaved his head. That He's going into full-blown public. He's just going to, he's no mask, no walking around and pretend everything's fine. He's just lowering the mask, and he's going to let everyone who sees him, everyone who walks by is going to see this guy and know, wow, this guy is hurting. This guy is in trouble. And he fell to the ground, and he, what did he do? He worshiped. He worshiped, and he said some words. You, you probably know these words. You may not know where they came from, but he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. He says, you know what? When I came into this world, I had nothing, and everything that I've gotten, all the wealth, all the stuff, it all came from God. And if God wants to take it away, that's, you know, that's God's business. He said, the Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away, and blessed, and you know, we sing that song, blessed be the name of the Lord. He didn't say that in the middle of good times. He said it in the middle of hard times. Why would someone choose to worship God when everything has gone south? Why would they do that? Well, I'll tell you why he did it. Because it was an expression of trust. I love the integrity. He's hurting. He's weeping. He's in sorrow. He's not trying to hide it. But at the same time, his hands are up and he's telling God, God, I know it doesn't make any sense, but I trust you. And right now I'm just going to worship you. And there's something about worshiping God that brings the presence of God and and the peace of God and the perspective of God into our lives like nothing else. So when you're in pain, I'd encourage you to worship, you know. Whatever that, whatever's meaningful to you. Whether it's coming to church on the weekend and making sure that you're in here when the worship starts, right? And walking in, even if it's not the song you like or the vibe, just, you know, just kind of get over that because it's not about this, it's about God. So you come in and you engage directly with God one-on-one and you worship Him. Or you're at home and you turn on some good worship music. Or, or, you know, do what I do. I like to grab my guitar and play a little bit and worship God or just give him some praise. But here's my question for you. When you're hurting, when you're struggling, when you're in pain, which way do you run? Do you run away from God? Do you put on the mask? Because my prayer would be that you would run into the arms of your loving Father who, who cares for you. You come to God with your arm out. God, I don't know, it's hurting. Can you do something about it? Because you trust him that in his presence you will find healing. God brings healing to the hurting soul through his presence. And the the other point really quickly is this. He often does it through his people. And I say this, I mention this because most of us, most of us started life pretty trusting. You know, I mean, most, most of us are born into this world and we, tr- we trust our parents and we trust our relatives and we kind of trust our brothers and sisters. We trust strangers with candy, you know, that's just the way we are when we come into this world. But, but then as we get older, what happens, right? Well, we get to know people. Uh, isn't that true? And then, and then they hurt us and they let us down and they betray us. And somehow we go from these people coming to the world, trusting everybody, right, to sometimes just about trusting nobody, you ever had that feeling like, you, I hear it all the time. 
I have people tell me all the time, godly people, spiritual people, Christians who say, I don't trust anybody. I don't try, I, there are things I will never tell anyone because I don't trust people. I've been hurt too many times. I've been betrayed too many times. And when we don't trust other people, what do we, what do, we do with our hurt when we don't trust people? Well, we hide it. We hide it because we're afraid. We're afraid of how people will respond. You know, we think, oh, well, they'll think less of me. They'll pity me, and I don't, want their, I don't want their pity, or they'll just talk about me. Or maybe we don't want to admit that we're hurting and struggling because of our pride. And some people might think they're better than us. You ever had that feeling? Like, I'm not going to tell him what I'm going through because it's just, he's going to think he's better than me. And I can't, or we're afraid they'll reject us or, or talk about us. Now, sometimes I think the reason that we're hurting, we're struggling, and we don't want to tell other people is because we think the spiritual thing to do is just suck it up. You ever felt like that? Like a spiritual person doesn't, you know, they just, they, and somehow we think the mask is somehow this godly, like this, like that's what Jesus would do. If Jesus was hurting, he'd just put on the mask because that's what you do. Uh, again, going back when, when um, our oldest son was 21 months old and he was fir- when he was first diagnosed with his kidney disease, we really didn't know what was going on. It's just one day he was healthy and one day he was sick. And, and two days later, his kidneys had completely shut down, and, and he's in, um, in intensive care at OHSU, and they've got him hooked up to stuff, and we don't know if he's going to live. We don't know if he's going to die. At this point, we have no idea what's going on. And so they've got him hooked up, and my wife and I are kind of playing tag team, uh, st- trading off nights at the hospital, and this is back when Dornbecker's was under construction. So you'd be in a room, and there were nights where there would be four kids, you know, the, the in, infants, young kids, in, in uh, cribs in one room, and there was nowhere for the parents to sleep. So you'd have a parent just sitting on a chair and trying to sleep through the night. There wasn't even a bathroom on that floor. And so my wife and I, we, we would switch off because we had another young child, so we kind of had to keep that whole thing going. So I'd be there one night, be home one night, be there one night. And uh, this starts wearing on. And then on the weekends, I would come to church and I'd need to preach on the weekends. And so I'd, I'd come up to preach. And, um, you know, I just kind of had this. One, one weekend, I had somebody come up and they said, how do, you know, how do you do it? How do you go through that all week long, you know, and then and, and just dealing with the pain and, and, and hurt. And then you come up on the weekend and you just, you just teach through the Bible. And it's just like you're up on the stage and everything's okay. And, you know, how do you do that? And I, I mean, it's a complicated thing. There were all sorts of reasons, I think, why I did that. But to be honest with you, I remember thinking uh, early on, I remember thinking I, I didn't know I had a choice. Because I really, I'd really become convinced that in order to be a good pastor, um, that's exactly what I needed to do. Because I was pretty sure no one wanted to come to church, you know, next weekend and see their pastor get up on the stage and start to teach through the scripture and like just break down. And, and maybe you've been there, but I was, I was pretty much there like, if I gave it an inch, it would take a mile, emotionally. So I would just kind of block, because I was convinced that not only would it be, you know, not only would it be awkward, <laughs> you know, <laughs> all right, because, you know, nothing's more fun than being the only person up on the stage as you begin to break down. And I'd experienced that privately a couple times. And I, what I'd noticed was sometimes when it started, I couldn't stop it. Now, it wasn't going to happen on the stage. But the other thing that I was concerned about was it would just be really bad, bad pastoring and spiritual care, you know? And I just felt like God would be really disappointed <laughs> if I got up to preach a message. And that's, that's what happened. And, and I say that because maybe you can relate to that. I mean, maybe you've been there. Maybe you're going through some really difficult emotional thing right now, but you're doing what I did. You, you feel like I got to be the strong parent. I can't, let my see, I can't let my kids see me cry. 
That would not be a good, you know, not good parenting. I can't let my spouse see me cry. Sometime, for some of you right now, you're carrying tremendous, uh, tremendous burden for your spouse. And you're just thinking, I just gotta, I gotta be the strong one, you know? And, and there's something to be said for being the strong one. For if, if being strong means being filled with faith, but if it means just putting on a mask or pretending that you're not hurting, then that, that's a whole different issue altogether. Or I, you know, I just need to be the strong friend or the grow group leader or the Christian or whatever. So you do what I did. You put on a mask, you hide the pain, and you just try to, you just try to get through the crushing burden that you feel. Now, I read a story one time, and, and this was so instructive for me. Um, in John chapter 11, it's a story, and you're probably familiar with it. Um, Jesus, he had his 12 disciples, and he's very close with them. And then we know he had some, there were some other people he was close to who weren't in that inner circle. One of them was a family. It was two sisters and a brother, Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus. Remember them? And one time Jesus is out and he's traveling and he's teaching and he's healing. And somebody comes and says, Lazarus, you know Lazarus, you're a really, really good friend, super close friend that you love Jesus. He's really, really sick. In fact, he's so sick, we're afraid he's not going to survive. And, and you need to go see him. And so the, the messenger leaves and, and Jesus does an interesting thing. The passage says he just kind of, okay, and he just keeps going on. And, and for two days, he continues doing what he was doing. And people are kind of like, you know, they're asking him, Jesus, uh, are you going to go see Lazarus? And, you know, I mean, what's, what's, what's up with that? He's really sick. And Jesus just kind of stalls for two days. And then he starts traveling back. And by the time he gets to, to, to Lazarus where he is, he's been dead. Lazarus is dead. He's been dead for four days now. So, so Jesus gets there. And people are just, some people are actually really kind of upset with him that he didn't come earlier. And we pick up the story in John eleven thirty two. 32. Uh, Mary, uh, Lazarus' sister, comes out, because Jesus is coming, and she comes out and she meets him. And when she saw where Jesus was, she fell at his feet and she said, notice what she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So she's hurting. She's just in a lot of pain. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, so there's just, you know, she's crying, and they're crying, and there's tears everywhere, and there's, there's hurting, and there's pain. And what does Jesus do it says he was deeply moved in spirit and and he was troubled in his soul and then he asked where have you laid him he asked and they said come and see lord they replied and g and then what to say jesus what jesus wept now here's my question for you for those of you who are theologians and like to ask philosophical questions from scripture which i think is great let me ask you this question why why did jesus weep why did jesus cry see i think it's an interesting question to ask because Jesus was the only person in the, in, the, in the place who knew what was about to happen. See, I know why Mary's crying and Martha's crying and, and the friends are crying. They're crying because he's dead and he's been dead for four days. And as the sister said, by now, Lord, he stinketh, you know, because he's really dead. That's a, and that's her whole point. He's way beyond. He's, he's dead, dead, stinking dead. And that's just the way it is. But Jesus looks and goes, he, if I was Jesus, I'd be like going... <laughs> This is awesome. Good. They have no idea. They're all crying and everything, and I'm about to just blow their mind. But that's not what he does. He's crying. Why would he cry when he knows what's about to happen? Now, there's a lot of different theories about why he cried. Some say he's just really saddened by their lack of faith, so he's not really crying for Lazarus. He's crying for all the losers that are around him. He's just sitting there going, you guys are just killing me here. In fact, I'm just crying. That's one theory. One theory is, this is an interesting one. He's crying because he feels really sorry for Lazarus and what he's about to do to him. Because Lazarus right now is in the presence of God, and God's going to pull him out of the presence of God and put him back down in this 
stinking place. And he kind of felt like, oh, I'm so sorry, Lazarus. And it's kind of an interesting theory. Some people say it was just crime because he's, he lived in a human body. You know, and he's feeling the emotion and, and getting caught up in what's going on. And he loved them. And it's just, he's, he's starting to think, as humans, we live in this experience. And this is what it's like to lose a loved one. But here's what's significant to me. For whatever reason, he cried. The point to me is he cried. And he did it in front of people. He expressed his pain. It wasn't like, do you think you might have been thinking, oh man, what's this moisture I feel in the corner of my eye? Oh, I better not cry in front of these people because he's God. I mean, if God, if you were in a room with God and God started crying, I mean, you think people might start jumping out of windows and stuff because that would be a bad sign. If God's crying, if God's upset, you know. So can't, I mean, I can imagine him going, I'm the Messiah, I'm God, so I'm just gonna <gasps> suck it up and be God because I know the whole rest of the story. But he doesn't do that. He cries what is he, why is he crying? Here's where I come out in this. The Bible says Jesus is our example in every, every aspect of living and, and, and faith. And I believe that part of the message that Jesus is sending is, it's okay. When you're hurting, when you're struggling, it's okay. If God can cry, then you can cry. Now you may say, I, well, that's kind of risky. You know what I mean? Because I, I've done that, and Jesus would say, it is. It, it is. You, you could let down the mask. You can cry in front of people, and yes. In fact, if you read the passage, what you'll find is there were some people who really, they kind of saw Jesus weep, and they're like, what is, what's wrong with that guy? I mean, really, read, go back and read it sometime. They're like, that guy's messed up. You know, he's crying. He, if he's God, what's the deal? He must not be God. And just, there are some people that took what he did and they took it in a bad direction. And here's the point. People will do that with you. And here's my point. So what? So what? Just, you know, it, put it this way. Why would you let the immature people in your life dictate how you live your life? There needs to come a time where you just say, I, Jesus did it, the Bible says do it. In fact, notice what it says in Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and, and what? Weep. Say it with me. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Okay? So there's permission right there. Right there in Scripture. Permission to weep. All right? Think about it this way. You can't, I, I can't weep with you if you don't weep in front of me. Right? So there's no way that you can live out this verse unless you drop the mask. Someone's got to drop the mask and someone's got to weep in front of someone else. It, now, if you won't do that, if you won't admit your hurt, your pain, your worry, then no one can weep with you. My question is, is there something you've been hiding, something you've been holding on to, and no one can weep with you no one can weep with you because you won't put it down. And here's, let me just tell you that this is so much bigger than, and, and I need to wrap this up, but this is so much bigger than just like, well, it's just one little isolated incident. If, if, if you're hurting and you're stressed and you won't let down the mask and you won't weep when you feel like weeping in front of other people, you are stopping something that God wants to do. In 2 Corinthians, it tells us this. This is great. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the, the Father of love and, and, and the care of God in all comfort. Now notice this, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So notice kind of the circle of care, the circle of life, the, the circle of care here, okay? Notice what he says here. Here am I, and one day something happens, and I'm, hurt, I'm just hurting and in my heart, and I, I let down the mask, and I admit I'm hurting, and God 
brings comfort to me. Now, it could just, I mean, let's just say I'm in my, I'm in my room. I'm all alone. I, I come to God. He comforts me. So now I've received some comfort from God. Now here, it's, it's not like that's the end of the story. Then I go out one day and I'm walking along. I, maybe I come to church and I come to somebody and say, hey, how are you doing? And they say, actually, and they lower the mask and they say, I'm hurting. Oh, really, what's going on? Well, I'm going through this thing. And you think, I just went through that. And God comforted me. And so you say, I know how to help you. So you comfort them. And then they're, now they're comforted and you're comforted and they go on their way and you go on your way. And, and you guys come up against some people, right? And, and they're hurting. And can you see how this whole thing can begin? And literally the body of Christ through the power of God be, begins to heal itself. So instead of this, you have a real genuine healing happening in the body. As a pastor... Um, I, I have people come tell me things like, for instance, uh, somebody may come up after service and say, you know, pastor, um, I, I just became a Christian recently and my family, they're, they're, I just feel like they're rejecting me and I'm feeling really alone at home. Sometimes a lot of people come up and say that and I can be like, oh, I know exactly how to help you because that happened to me. So I, I, when somebody says that, I'm just like, I'm not like I'm happy for them, but I'm happy because I can sit down and go, you know what? I know what that's like and I've received comfort from God, so let me comfort you. Or I might have somebody come up to me after service and say, you know what? Uh, uh, my, my son, my daughter is really sick and I'm just really crushed in my soul right now and I, I just don't have words. I don't know what to do and I can just put my arms around them and say, I can help you because I've been there and I've received the comfort of God. Now, sometimes I'll have people come up after service, and I'm the pastor, so they'll feel like they, you know, I'll go talk to the pastor, but I'll have people come up and say, oh, my, you know, my wife just left me, my husband just left me, my marriage is falling apart, I just lost my job, I, I'm, I'm, I'm being abused right now in a situation, I'm, I'm, I'm terribly sick. Now, I'll tell you, sometimes people come up, and they tell me this stuff, I'm just going to tell you, there are times when I, when I look at them, and I think, okay, um, I think I read a book on that, um, I think I took a class, like, 50 years ago in seminary. Let's see, what was the outline in that class? I mean, think of it, it's all I have because I've never gone through that. I, I, I don't know what that's like. Now, I, I, I mean, sometimes you just need to come and talk to your pastor, but I'm just telling you that sometimes that's all I have to offer because I've not gone through that. I've not, I'm not experienced. I can say, oh, I know so-and-so. And here's what I'll do sometimes. I know so-and-so who's gone through that, and this is what they said. But here, here's what's even better. If I could say to you, oh, see him over there? See her over there? They've gone through that. Let me go introduce you. And sometimes I'll do that. Let me go introduce you because I'm the pastor, but I got no help for you right now. You, I'm not the one you want to talk to. You want to talk to someone who's received comfort from God and can give you that comfort. And that is the place I think that God wants to take us as a body. I mean, I imagine if every one of us, just think, if we were a congregation where every one of us put down the mask and we stopped hiding our hurt, and we're able to just admit what's going on in our life, there could be so much healing. Imagine on any given weekend, I can imagine someone standing up and going, I'm just, my marriage, my health, my finances, some issue. I mean, literally that picture, you could, you could do that. Somebody could stand up in the end of the service and go, here I am, and I'm just, I'm going to start breaking down because I'm hurting. And somebody in the congregation could go, I got it. I got it. Pastor, go ahead and do whatever you can do because I got this. Imagine what could happen in a church where people drop their masks and begin to do that. Now, one of the, the, the big strategy for us as a church is um, grow groups. And we really believe that in a, really, realistically in this service last night and the next service, 
you know, we come and we sing and there's some teaching, but this is really not where like intimate conversations for the most part are going to take place. That happens in grow groups. And so for those of you in grow groups, you could turn over your, uh, your outline and see on the back, got some questions and discussions and stuff for you. And I want to encourage you, if you've been hiding something, uh, some, some pain, some hurt in your life, I want to encourage you this week to go to your grow group and say, I'm going to drop the mask and I'm, I'm going to let them know what I'm going through so that you can receive comfort from people in your group who, who love you and who want to do that. Now, if you're here today and you're not in a girl group and you don't have that context, then a Pastor Bill's going to come up and he's going to pray for us. And I'm going to close this in a song. If you want to, just come up and Pastor Bill will be up here. And you can come up and say, I, I need to pray with someone. Or, you know, he might find someone in the congregation and, and hook you up with them. But we want to see the healing of God take place in this place. Amen? Pastor Bill.